Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme and let's start with what is a very, very sad story. And that was the news uh, from Cork County Council uh, saying that the house in Mallow where the body was found last Friday was privately owned. Now, the local authority obviously offering its condolences to the family of the deceased. And now work has begun to try to identify the man and indeed the cause of death. Our news reporter, uh, Mairead Tuig, uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Mairead. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Now, this body was discovered in a boarded up house on Beecher Street in uh, Mallow. Can you just outline the circumstances of why the council had entered this boarded up uh, property and how the body was discovered? Yeah, so it's been established over the weekend, as you said there, Patricia, that this house was privately owned and that it was not owned by Cork County Council. But they had served a compulsory purchase order on this property and they were going in to inspect the property when they made this very shocking discovery on Friday. So does anybody know how long the house was boarded up? Um, in terms of how long it was boarded up, it hasn't been said, but they did find um, items in the fridge in the house that, that date back as far as 20 years old. And they're trying to establish now exactly how long this uh, this per- this deceased person may have been in this house. And this these are the, the, the measures they're going to have to take to, to try and establish that. And, you know, the remains were, t- were taken away and a post-mortem, as far as I understand, took place on Saturday. So again, they'll all form part of that investigation. And as far as I'm aware, Gary, they are looking at the likes of utility bills and, you know, electricity supply to try and establish a- exactly what happened here. And also talking to locals in the area, you know, on Beecher Street. And, and what's being said is that locals thought that th- this man had moved to England um, years ago. And, and that was the understanding. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I know you say the poor Smorton, but, but goodness me, if this poor man has been there for 20 years, I'm assuming we're talking about DNA or, or dental records at this stage. Will it be to try to identify who, who the man was? It seems to be that that they will be looking at the likes of dental records to to try and uh, confirm the man's identity and also to confirm the cause of death. And it is a really sad story. And, you know, we have to think of the council workers going in, you know, and going about their job and to make this this really shocking discovery. It's a really sad story. And Gardaí, at this stage, they have ruled out foul play in the death of this man. 
they have yeah they're, they're not considering foul play at the moment they have ruled that out and they are looking you know if anyone does have information to to come forward and to share that with them as they try and piece together exactly what happened here and and to, to understand you know and to identify uh, this man and you know just anyone that that can offer some some bit of light on the story and that would be greatly appreciated yeah, and I take it Gardaí will look at um, you know the list of missing persons to see as well. Is it, had anybody reported this man missing? Absolutely, they will be looking at all of that, and you know I'm sure they're they're trying to to trace maybe family members that may be out there and and to establish you know and and looking at at all the information that they can find to to try and piece together I- exactly what happened here. And uh, there's always the possibility, the fact as well, that it was a boarded up house. Could it have been a rough sleeper that was using the property? There is, there is. There's so many um, different things to to look at to try and understand this. And and the likes of the the post-mortem and looking at the the DNA and and trying to identify like this, it's going to be quite a painstaking, um, you know, investigation to to get to, to the bottom of this. But they're working hard and, and as I say, anyone who may be able to shed any light at all or, or have any information to come forward to support those Gardaí that are working on this. OK, and, and it's um, Mallow Gardaí obviously investigating. Mallow Gardaí. OK, absolutely. listen, uh, Mairead, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, that is thank our you. news reporter, uh, Mairead uh, Tuig. Uh, I'm now joined by uh, local Fine Gael uh, councillor Liam Madden. Uh, good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, yeah. Uh, and Patricia. what is a very, very sad and, and a tragic story. Uh, Liam, how have local people been reacting to the news? Yeah, I, I suppose, look, just, just in the outset there, Patricia, I suppose, look, to, I suppose, remember, look, if the family members out there and the sympathy to all these people. And, and I suppose also to remember the, the council workers that came across the, on Friday as well, you know. Um, I, I suppose it's... It, um, Beach Street, look, it's it, it's um, uh, you know a place there's a lot of traffic there every day. It's um, you know a great community there. Actually, they they were they would um, I suppose knowing Beach Street going back, um, I think everyone knew everyone on that street, and I suppose that's the that's the shocking thing about this, like that, um, you know, if if there's a man that said he was going to England. If that's if that's right, you know, and, and that he did go, and there had been no communication with anyone, it's 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 extraordinary. And but I suppose you must also think of the possibility maybe maybe it was someone that went into the house. But I suppose the other thing as well is is look, I suppose at the time there was no one missing, in and that time you know that if there was, I think you know usually when there's someone missing, um, their lit houses and buildings and all are searched, you know, to to see if a person, you know, might have gone into one of these places. But uh, there wasn't anyone on a list uh, that the Gardaí were looking for at the time, you know. So Yeah, so we um, can assume nobody had reported this gentleman uh, missing. Yeah. And, and as you say, it's, you know, it's a fantastic community uh, there in, in, I mean, there's, you know, there's, go- there's brilliant communities right throughout Cork City and uh, County. Uh, but for, for, for some families, they would have lived in Beecher Street for many, many years. And, you know, it's an area where people would have known everybody in everybody's house. Yeah. And, you know, if this gentleman had indicated that he was thinking of going to live in England and then suddenly they don't see him, they just obviously assumed he'd gone off to England. Yeah, and, and I suppose, look, if, you know, reports and what we're hearing then as well, look, this, this, this person is supposed to be a person who kept a lot to himself as yeah. well. And, and, you know, 
that could have. But you know, if you if you went back thirty or forty years ago and like someone went in and like uh, there, there might be an odd letter would come, but like I suppose in the last few years when people went anywhere, the communication was always there. You'd imagine, you know, that. The, but obviously, if this person kept himself and he said to someone, "Look, I'm going," um, so it, it's extraordinary that, like, I suppose. One thing is, I suppose, the, the CPO order there, and I suppose, you know, to see that happening as well now, to see houses that are derelict and vacant, you know, action on that as well. I think it's good to see that happening in towns and villages, but I suppose um, you always have to think about maybe did someone go in there? Uh, was it someone just went in there to sleep and did something happen and just... We, that, that's also a possibility. We'll have to, yeah, we'll have to wait for the for the postmortem, the dental records, the the DNA to work out exactly uh, who this gentleman is. Um, who would have boarded up that house? Well, that that is um, that is a question that's being asked. I suppose at present, like um, like um, was was it a landlord that had this? Um, you know, the the questions was it was it was he a tenant? This person in the house or was, was, is there a lender because I suppose when the CPOs it's usually on the owner of the house it's served and 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 obviously if they don't get a reaction then on, on that um, I suppose they are moving quicker and them things now as well which is which is great to see that and I suppose that's why they, they did enter the house as well and whereas you go back a few years ago look I, I suppose listening there this morning look to some of this door and, and listening it's not. It has happened in other places. That's the unfortunate thing about this. This has happened in Mitchestown a few years ago, where there was two women dead for. I think they were dead for a couple of months, and they used to frequent local places every day, and 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 all of a sudden they disappeared, and no one. I remember didn't think that. Of, I remember that. And people feel so guilty when you get cases like that. Yeah. But I, uh, I think with a case like this, that you know, it's looking like this gentleman might have been there for for twenty years. You know, in in defence of the, the their their neighbours, if they genuinely thought this man had gone, they'd no reason to knock on the door to no, see and, if yeah, everything was I, okay. Yeah, and I, I suppose the, the the first thing there, if 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 they hadn't, someone hadn't, you know, if someone had said, look, the man was gone to England. But if that had wasn't the case, I'm sure that that there would have been someone knocking on that man's door a couple of days later to know was he okay. Yeah, and yeah. I, I would because that's the way the community is there and, and that now I, I know that things have changed in the last few years look houses have been sold and you know houses are let a lot now there's a lot of you know um, there was a lot I suppose Beecher Street a lot of families uh, um, lived there you know going back you know mm. and I suppose it's the same in a lot of places where houses are let now as well and, and that happens as well and I suppose the people don't know each other as well then Whereas I think when you had a family orientation there, going back, uh, I can go back many years when, look, you couldn't have a better community, you know? Yeah, and when people are raising families and everybody's helping each yeah. other out, everybody knows everybody. But uh, unfortunately, times certainly have changed. And and a number of people are asking as well, you know, with the housing crisis, how can a house be allowed to be boarded up for so long? Yeah, and, and, and I suppose that's, that's the one thing on 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 the on that crisis as well, and I suppose like look, we know that a lot in lots of cases houses are tied up with family disputes, they're tied up in fair deal situations, and look, a lot of that is changing now, and and that's not before time because, um, you know, um, when we have a housing crisis, everything should be looked at 
and and I suppose there that's why there's other places in Mallow has been there would have been orders as well, compulsory orders. So it's it, it's starting to happen in, in our towns and villages, yeah. which look it, it's not before time, you know. Because it's not fair either on the houses that have to live close by or next to boarded up houses because you can end up with all kinds of problems you know including rodents uh, you know if, if you've got a derelict house it, you know it creates yeah, and all I kinds of problems that, that, that was one of the probably things as well I think that maybe that's why the council entered the property as well you know because uh, usually what happens in these situations is you have rodents and, and then you have health, health situations and health problems you know so I think that's that, um, what I, I think a lot of that um, is changing and, and, and probably needs to change more as well like that you know if a house is unoccupied for so long there needs to be action taken on it you know yeah yeah 100% but as you say we we send deepest sympathies that we don't know if this gentleman has family living locally who might be listening to us if they are uh, we send on our deepest sympathies because yeah, it's yeah. just it's, it's, it's a shock for everybody but and the council workers I'm very conscious that the council workers you know went in on a Friday to do their job that's not a nice thing for them to have faced no and and, and, and you know look um you know, people like that now, counter workers, and, and you know, we have our firefighters out there, and people like that. You know, emergency people and all that. You know, this this situation, it was to come across that for them. Look, it, it, it's not an easy, um, and and you know, it could take a bit of re- recovering from as well. And and um, you know, but look, the, the it it the one thing about all this, we hope that there is a family out there, and 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 it would be a closure. Yeah. I suppose that's the important thing that the person now is able to get a decent burial and you know so um, we we hope all that will come to light in the and as, days, as you Mairead know? our news reporter anyone that might have any information that could help the Gardaí particularly to try to speed up identifying um, this uh, gentleman to please contact Mallow Gardaí yeah and yeah. That's, that's hugely important because look um, there's no doubt look there, there, there has to be in the system as well, um, you know that, that what was this man? Was he in the system? Was he drawing something? Was he, you know, was he had, had he a dentist or had he, you know, all yeah, these things yeah, will, yeah. Will, will come to light in the next few days now. And 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 again, the, the if, if if it is that person, that's the most that's the other thing as well that um, you know, no one has positively said so far that. That's the men, you know, um, you know, rumours are there, all right. You yeah, know? we have to wait. We absolutely yeah. have to wait. OK, and may that uh, gentleman, may he, may he rest in peace. And as you yeah. say, get uh, the Christian burial that he deserves. Yeah, as well. yeah. Listen, Liam, I appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. Thank you for yeah, that. No problem. Thank you. Thank you uh, good morning Bye. to you. That is uh, Fianna Gael uh, councillor Liam Madden. A lot of people commenting on this uh, gentleman who has been found dead in a house in uh, Mallow. Someone said that was absolutely how sad and how terrible that man or woman, it has been confirmed as a man, has was been f- not found for 20 years in Beecher Street. May he rest in peace. How come the neighbours didn't notice the smell or something? And a lot of people are picking up on that. Would there not have been some kind of a foul smell? I'm, yeah, I imagine initially when a body is decaying, but does that smell then dissipate and then just uh, disappear? While somebody else, when I was defending the neighbours, particularly the fact that it's understood that uh, the last occupant of the house was a reclusive man who 
who they had believed had gone to the UK. Someone said in defence of the na- of the neighbours, my eye, you're telling me somebody disappears and says they're moving to England and nobody saw a removal van. They never noticed a smell. The ESB would have been disconnected at some point and surely the postman would have been shoving letters through the door. Uh, where was the where was the postman? Where was the credit union workers? The bank tellers? Somebody must have noticed this man was missing. Mallow has been caught with its pants down. Good community, my eye. They didn't care. End of. I think that's very unfair. I really do think that's very unfair, particularly if this man as some people are saying, if it is this reclusive man, lots of people live very reclusive lives, don't interact with many people at all and can suddenly, you know, go off the radar and that's it. And I, I think it's unfair uh, to point the finger of blame at neighbours. And we have, as Lee Madden said, there has been cases over the years of people who were found uh, dead um, after a number of weeks and a lot of spotlight went on the neighbours and the neighbours in the local community just felt so bad about it and people have said we tried to reach out to, to the person, you know, and, and they weren't willing to interact. So I, th- I think it's I think it's unfair to pass a sweeping judgment uh, like that on the the people who lived in that area. As I say, we're going to have to wait and see. From uh, the Garda investigation, the DNS was first thing we need to identify who the person is. But I was reading Barry Roach in the Irish Times as a piece about it, and he was saying that Gardaí spoke to a local business owner who moved into the area in two thousand and two. And that that person told investigators that the the house was already boarded up when they uh, arrived um, because the butter that was found in the fridge was dated 2001. Now, if this business owner was saying that it was in 2002, the house was boarded up. I, I mean, to me, the big question that has to be asked was who boarded up the house and when the house was boarded up? Why was the decision taken to board up the house and was the house checked before it was boarded up because of course again others are speculating and it is purely speculation at this stage that it could have been somebody who was sleeping rough who spotted the boarded up house because how many times have we seen that that people who sleep rough will go into a house that's boarded or a hotel or a business that's boarded up and no longer in use and use it to get some kind of shelter and until I suppose we find out for sure who is the remains that was found on Friday we won't know 0818103103 and just on a much much lighter note can I pass on huge huge congratulations to Bally Giblin who won the Junior Hurling Club final on uh, Saturday and of course they were going back for the second year they had the pain of an All-Ireland final defeat to Moon Coyne last year and you know don't you know that that was in the lads' minds as well but listen they had nothing to worry about this year winning one sixteen to Eski from uh, Sligo's 11 points and it was a terrific uh, win. Uh, They got a second chance of all Ireland glory and by God did they take it with uh, both hands. But what I thought was absolutely gorgeous and really touching was the gesture that was made to our own Paddy Palmer and I'm assuming many people may have seen it on social media and actually saw it in the sports section of the Examiner today when the Bally Giblin uh, players were celebrating their win when they were all back down on the pitch for that wonderful team photograph where they're all there with the cup. They had a 
poster that they had made up and brought with them to Croke Park that says this one is for you Pawdy and the C103 logo uh, underneath I just when I saw that I was following the match because obviously we were doing the commentary here Patrick uh, Murray doing the commentary for us here on uh, C103 and I was very much thinking of Pawdy and I was very much thinking of the lads in the commentary box because I know it was very difficult for them it was the first match that we, they were commentating on since we lost uh, Pawdy so I know it was difficult difficult commentary for them as well uh, and I know Croke Park did their bit by the, up on the big screen was a picture of uh, Paddy and there was a minute silence but I thought what the gang from Bally Giblin did with you know giving the win saying this one is for you Paddy I was really really touched by that uh, so well done to everybody involved in Bally Giblin and no doubt they're not even listening to us this morning I assume that they are still celebrating and the celebration will go on f- for some time and it is well well deserved 0818 103 103 and some of you texts and comments are into the programme uh, this morning on that gentleman that was found in Mallow. A listener says, Hi Patricia, I wonder does anyone remember the case in Inishannon? It was about 60 years ago. Now maybe this is a story that some people may have remembered grandparents or parents talking about. This listener says that a woman was found dead in a house. She'd been dead for two years but her brother was living in the house with her. And it was a case out of Inishannon some 60 years ago. I, I honestly can't say I've ever heard of that case before, but maybe somebody uh, listening remembers it. The listener feels sure some of the older people may remember or may remember hearing about the case. My goodness, how sad was that to have the woman dead in the house and the brother remaining in the house with the dead body. That's a really, really sad case uh, indeed. On NCTs, this is a different issue. Mary and Domanway says, I booked my NCT on the 6th of December and the earliest date available to me was the 17th of January. So I've taken that date. But with the condition of our roadways, etc., it is any wonder that a car will pass the NCT. NCT. Some of our roads are falling apart and have been, especially over the last number of weeks with the excessive rain that we've been having we're seeing roads absolutely disintegrating we're actually going to be talking about NCT and people driving without an up to date uh, NCT we're going to be covering that in our insurance uh, slot uh, later today and I think tomorrow we're also going to be I know John Paul is trying to get Deputy James O'Connor to join us because this is an issue that broke over the weekend and it's something that I know we have addressed and spoken about on the programme before if you can't get an NCT within 28 days, then Aplus, the company that operate the NCT, they're meant to give you a free NCT. You shouldn't have to pay for your NCT uh, test. But it turns out, according to the Road Safety Authority, not one person got a free NCT last year. And I'm, you know, there was a lot of people certainly contacting us, including like Mary and John Manway, who tried to book an NCT and certainly booking on the 6th of December and getting it on the 17th of January. That's waiting more than uh, 28 days. Now, I know they'll probably say we could have offered you an NCT up in Donegal, but sure, like the answer to that is of what use is that to uh, anyone? So we're going to be looking at that in more detail because I think they're going to be brought in before the transport, the Oireachtas Transport uh, Committee, because there have certainly been a huge, huge proportion of people who've waited more than 28 days to actually get uh, an NCT. 
and reading in the papers today the number of Irish people with individual wealth. Now, individual wealth of over, wait for this, 46.6 million has more than doubled over the last decade. And this is a report that has come out from Oxfam. And the charity are publishing the report today saying that for the first time in a quarter of a century, something that a lot of people will be nodding their heads saying, I've known this for quite some time, the rich are getting richer, while unfortunately the poor are getting poorer. Oxfam are calling on the government to now apply a wealth tax on the elite Irish wealth and they want it at graduated rates of 2%, 3% and up to 5% and they're saying do it on a threshold of 4.7 million. Now they're saying that if, an, if a levy like that was introduced going on the number of people in the wealth that the wealthiest have at the moment if we were to introduce it today it could raise 8.2 billion every single year and obviously a pot of 8.2 million Oxfam say it would transform Irish public services in health in housing in education while also delivering on our international and climate uh, commissions now according to the Forbes world's billionaire list for last year 2022 the late Indian Irish tycoon Paloji Mystery. He was the richest person in Ireland last year. His net worth was more than $15 billion. Now, that particular gentleman died uh, at the last June at the age of 95. He controlled the Mumbai-based engineering and construction company. And then second on the rich list, this is from Forbes on their billionaires list, were the brothers from uh, Limerick. Uh, John and Patrick Colson. They, of course, were co-founder of the payments uh, company Stripe. Patrick Colson, he won the Young Scientist exhibition, which we spoke about the winners on Friday. He won that competition in 2005 at the age of 16. So maybe some of our winners are going to be our next billionaires of the future. He then moved to the US and in 2008, I mean, he was only a young lad. He was only 19. He sold his first software company, um, Octomatic. Uh, he founded that with his younger brother and he sold it back in 2008 when they were still teen- teenagers. They sold it for three million. But according to Forbes list, both men now have a net worth of more than nine point five billion dollars. And that was what they were worth last year. Now, while the two richest Irish slots on the Forbes list show examples of success and success that was achieved through entrepreneurship, which is what happened in both of those uh, cases, the charity study is called Survival of the Richest and it revealed staggering inequalities in Ireland's wealth distribution. Oxfam Ireland is highlighting the issue and they always kind of do it at this time because the globe's most powerful are gathering in Davos in Switzerland for the World Economic Forum and the amount of money that will be in Davos in Switzerland over the next uh, week with eye-watering. According to the study, there are eight billionaires in Ireland. There's 1,435 individuals worth 47 million euro. And then there's 20,575 individuals who are worth more than 7.5 million. How much does one person need to live? I, it, it always astounds me when I read out figures like that and think if I had that kind of money, yeah, what, you can't take it with you. Well, I, it just it, it astounds me how people accumulate all of this wealth. Anyway, the richest 1%, they've gained 63 times more wealth than the bottom 
8% in the last 10 years. Wealth accumulation had come on top of a decade of unprecedented gains for the super rich, according to this report. And Oxfam Ireland CEO Jim Clarkham said that the rising wealth at the top and the rising poverty for the rest are two sides of the same same coin. But he said it's proof that our economic system is functioning exactly how the rich and powerful designed it to do. The rich are getting richer and unfortunately the poor are getting poorer. And he says as crisis after crisis hits the poorest people hardest, it's now time for the government, including Ireland's government to start seriously looking at taxing the rich and I think anybody who reads that Oxfam report would would find it very hard to disagree with Oxfam when they're saying tax the rich I wonder even the rich themselves when you look at those you know draw dropping figures um, surely some of that could come back in should come back in taxation into the Irish Exchequer. We've received a number of calls from listeners who are concerned about the increase in e-bikes and e-scooters with some people claiming they were nearly run over by one of these vehicles. Several of our county councillors have highlighted the lack of regulations around e-scooters and bikes with Fianna Fáil councillor Ian Doyle proposing a motion to write to the Minister for Transport to fast-track legislation. Councillor Ian Doyle joins me. Good morning to you, Ian. Morning, Patricia. And a Happy New Year to you. Yes, many, many, many happy First time speaking since the New Year. Now, have you and other councillors seen an increase in e-scooters and e-bikes in recent months? Just before I start, could I just acknowledge and, and you know, it's a very sad situation that has happened in Mallow over the weekend. Yeah. And just, you know, obviously there's a family at some stage involved, so we are hard to watch everybody, everybody concerned. And the council workers, it was tough on them. I, I, yeah, most, most definitely, yeah. yeah. Most definitely, yeah. it's tragic, yeah. Yeah, tragic. Uh, sorry. Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, I suppose my motion was because, as you quite rightly say, um, over the last number of weeks or years, but certainly since Christmas, the increase in e-scooters in our, particularly in our county towns, is very evident. And I, like you have said, I have had many elderly people and elderly, elderly organisations onto me to know: is there any legislation to stop the speed of these scooters? And quite frankly, at important, there isn't. And uh, it is being brought before the door, and we were just asking the Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan, to fast-track it and to bring in legislation for e-scooters and e-bikes. And it's not just the speeding, it's the fact that these e-scooters are on footpaths. Well, that, that is the biggest problem, Patricia. And, you know, uh, it's all about active travel, I suppose. And e-scooters are, are a very, you know, in the continent, they're used as a very mode of going to work and probably going to school and going to various things. But our towns and villages, you know, we have no proper markings in our footpaths. We have no designated lane for these e-scooters at the minute. And, you know, it, it is an accident waiting to happen, particularly for our elderly or for people that are, you know, coming out. Our, our footpaths are very narrow in many of our county towns. And coming out of shops, there's absolutely no, you know, you can get knocked down easily by these e-scooters. Yeah. I'm not, you know, just last year alone, Patricia, Garda sources say that there were 791 traffic accidents um, reported by e-scooters, of which 266 of those were actually collisions. So it means they've crashed into something or somebody, you know, so it, it is quite serious. And, and they don't have insurance. They don't. There's no, there's no legislation for e-bikes or e-scooters uh, in the current legislation. That hopefully is... The Minister is proposing that e-bikes would be classed as L-driver licensing, uh, which would come under some legislation. But there is absolutely no uh, regulation for e-scooters. 
Would you would you like to see some kind of mandatory insurance on them? Well, I, I'm not sure about mandatory. I, I'm not sure about mandatory insurance if that's the way to go, Patricia. But certainly designated lanes, and you know, I, I suppose I hate saying it, but it's all back to education again and using these e-scooters in a proper manner. Um, I was with a, in a in a, um, a traffic jam in Charleville the other day. And I saw two e-scooters go down to the town, and quite honestly, the speed and, you know, they flew up down to the town, across the pedestrian crossing, no due care for the people or the, for the cars coming against them. It was an accident waiting to happen. And I would be just concerned that somebody is going to get knocked down by these e-scooters and that something is done. And now, they can reach pretty fast speeds. Well, they, 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 they can. They fast you. Yeah. The minister has indicated that he, certainly for the e-bikes he has going to bring in legislation, but for the e-scooters all he is proposing is that they are under 25 kilometres an hour on our streets and footpaths. Now, 25 kilometres an hour in a packed footpath is really serious stuff, you know, and um, I think we need to look at it more seriously than that, certainly. And when you talk about the new uh, legislation, will they be banned on footpaths? It, it, not by, by the minister's account, not e-scooters. He is promoting that as active travel. And, if you know, I, I think that if that is the case, then it is up to us in the county councils that we need to have designated lanes on all our footpaths and in, out, and in all our roadways, if possible, you know, for these e-scooters. They just cannot mix with the, the general public and people coming out of shops and people coming out of, you know... Well, if you've got a wide enough footpath, that will well, work, that, Ian. But, I mean, a lot of our towns and villages don't have wide enough but, footpaths. But that is the big trouble, Patricia, yeah, and how we are going to tackle that is, a, is another problem. There's no question about it. Whether we whether we go into our public roadway and make a designated lane there, I'm not quite sure. Um, I'm sure you've seen, Patricia, as we all have been, say, in foreign travel, um, certainly a lot of the cities are, are well used of this, but they, they have designated lanes for these e-scooters. We don't have currently at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been abroad and, and seen e-scooters e at work and they certainly are not mingling and not whizzing around pedestrians. There, as no, you say, they've got their and own even, lane. You know, and even I, I myself, we're not, we're not used to that sort of travel. And I, I don't, I've been caught up in walking in those scooter days and nearly getting caught, knocked down, you know. But certainly it needs a designated uh, pathway for these if they're going to be used in a highly... Just the, I mean, they, you know, they are a good mode of transport and, yeah. and, and I can see where Eamon Ryan is coming from. They're a green mode and, and all of that. Yeah. Uh, and and, and, and I, I can accept all of that. But I'm wondering, the Road Safety Authority, do they need to get involved and they, have more control over them? They do, Patricia, they do. And you see, unfortunately, or, and you're quite right, e-scooters are a very good way of active travel and the mode of modern transport. But we, I suppose, in Ireland, and particularly in our county towns and villages, are using it as a recreational vehicle rather than a mode of transport. Certainly in the cities, I suppose, people are going to their office work in these e-scooters at the minute, and maybe it is working out fine. But certainly in the towns, all people are using them as a recreational mode of transport, and no regard for the people that are walking the footpath. And there was a lot of children. Santa Claus was very busy this oh, Christmas sure. delivering e-scooters. He, br he brought more e-scooters. There's no question about it. He's a great auntie. But I, I, I do think that there needs to be legislation brought in for both. 
and also uh, an educated, as you say, the road safety authority and an educational pamphlet about them as well. Yes, certainly. Yeah, and, and I knew the minute I would mention uh, e-scooters, we, we'd get flooded with calls and texts because so many people have been contacting us about them, yeah. particularly people who've had near misses. I remember we had an elderly lady uh, last year who contacted us and her house, the front door, she's straight onto the street and she said she lives in fear now opening up her front door and yeah. stepping out because there's been there was a two or three times where she nearly got blown away because yeah. and there and then I even mentioned on Saturday I was out and an e-scooter came down behind me now I gave such a roar I frightened the young fella on the on the e-scooter because they're silent and it was suddenly yeah. he was on top of me um, and he was trying to whiz around me but I gave such a roar he nearly came off the off the bike um, people are saying they need to be banned but I mean that's not going to happen well that, that's not going to happen I suppose but particularly I suppose as you said now on, on Saturday Patricia and I'm just mentioning the town of Charville, we have a thriving retail main street here in Charville, and all our shop fronts are opening onto the footpath. Yeah. Plus our, plus our town plaza, which delivers, well, I was delivers the wrong word, but, but elderly people come by the local link bus there to the plaza. And, you know, the space is limited. And I have witnessed e scooters flying down through those people, and how somebody hasn't been knocked down is the mystery to me, to be honest with you. Yeah. Okay, and lots of people yeah. saying well done, well done to Ian Doyle on this. So you've you've contacted Minister Eamon Ryan. We, the, the council have written to Minister Eamon Ryan to fast track that legislation and to tell us what it's about. For, uh, I suppose first of all, and to make a public awareness of both the e-scooters and the e-bikes. e-bikes. Okay, yeah. all right, we'll leave it there, Ian. Thank you for that, thank you, and Thank uh, thanks for joining us. That is Councillor Ian Doyle. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of our text saying, Patricia, I'm just inquiring, are there county council elections this year? Are there EU elections this year? The reason I ask is I'm getting a lot of leaflets in my post box. So I'm wondering when are the EU elections and the county council elections? Is it this year or next year? It'll be next year because the last local elections and European elections, which are always held on the same date, the last time they were held was Friday the 24th of May 2019 and they are valid from 2019 to 2024 so it'll be May of next year that we'll have both European and local elections or oh, a little over a year so just get used to those leaflets coming in I imagine you'll get a lot more of them between now and when the elections are actually uh, called thanks for your text to 0862103103 couple of other issues people are contacting us about before I get to topics we were discussing in the last hour Jerry is worried about the Irish passport and Irish citizenship. He said, I think the Irish passport is becoming too easy to get. And actually, it was only last week I was reading a piece of how valuable the Irish passport is and how it can get you into so many more countries than other passports can do. It's quite a valuable passport to hold. So hang on to your Irish passport dearly. Anyway, Ger is of the view. Everybody seems to be getting an Irish passport. He said so many people in the UK UK have now decided to apply for an Irish passport because of Brexit and they were able to do it because of links to a grandmother or a grandfather. They had a family connection and that's how they were able to apply for an Irish passport. Now according to Ger, we're seeing the Irish state talking about giving citizenship to some Ukrainian refugees who are living here and if that happens then they'll be issued with Irish passports. Irish passports are becoming a 
little bit light. A lucky bag, says Jar. Do others worry that too many people are now getting their hands on? And these are people who are officially entitled to an Irish passport. 0818 103 103. And uh, Michael Dunn in West Cork is concerned about lack of GPs, but in particular lack of South Dock. Patricia High, regrettably, I have to say that I'm shocked, but not really surprised. We have no South Dock service on the Bear Peninsula on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights. Isn't that shocking? Don't get sick on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights. Also, uh, the weekends can really be hit or miss on the Bear Peninsula. There is a huge shortage of GPs in rural areas simply because there's no incentive for them to work in rural Ireland. The Bear Peninsula, says Michael, is not Antarctica. It's a very pleasant, it has a very pleasant life to offer. Beautiful beaches, restaurants, boat trips and magnificent scenery, etc. And I'll throw in fantastic community spirit, great people living in the, on the Bear Peninsula. It has to be made more attractive, though, says Michael, for doctors and nur- nurses to come here to work and to live. Maybe things like giving them an extra remuneration or maybe considering a healthy tax incentive for them. Many newly qualified GPs will opt to work in larger city practices are of course as we know many of them go abroad my sources inform me says Michael it's the intention of the HSE to have nurses replace doctors where they have no doctors for South Stock so is it very possible in the future we'll be calling the night nurse instead of calling the South Stock furthermore we have only one ambulance based out of Castleton Bear and that ambulance is on call to other areas as well Patricia I want to know what our elected representatives are doing about what is a very very serious situation and please don't just come back with talk we need immediate action I think a lot of people will agree with you on that Michael but we do we have a massive issue when it comes to GPs even though I did hear I don't know if it was Stephen Donnelly I did hear him talk about their training they're doing their really best to uh, train up we need the younger GPs uh, to train up in, in this country and then once they're trained we need them to stay and we need to incentivise them to go into rural areas uh, for sure you're right and if we, we need to think outside the box with that then uh, so be it 0818 103 103 I mentioned wealth tax and this is a study that's come out from Oxfam Ireland deliberately timed to coincide with the world's richest who are all meeting in Davos in Switzerland for the World Economic Forum which takes place at this time uh, every year and Oxfam have done a study of the wealth that some Irish people hold quite a a large number of people are very wealthy in this country but they're saying that their latest report is showing that the rich are getting richer while the poor are getting uh, poorer. John says when he was 18 years of age he got up early in the morning and he went out to work. When you talk about wealthy people many of those people also got up early in the morning and they worked damn hard and they became successful. So why should the government now take money off these people off the rich who worked very hard to accumulate their funds. I know that there is some extreme wealth out there and many, but many did work hard to get where they are. And at the same time, you've got people who just sit indoors every day and don't ever go out to work. The long-term unemployed, people who have drawn off social welfare 
all of their lives. And while I accept the social welfare system is needed and is helping people and there are special cases who will always need social welfare, but there are other people who are just creaming it from the uh, system and who are take, take, take. Why should the wealthy be taxed more? Well, I think what Oxfam are saying is the very extreme wealth. I mean, they're not talking about people who work hard and who paid for their homes and, you know, are living hopefully comfortably now. They're not talking about that. It is the extreme uh, wealth because what the Oxfam report is showing that over the last number of years, those wealthy people, and it's not, I'm not saying that they didn't work hard to, initially to accumulate their wealth, but it's the rate at which they're accumulating their funds is disproportionate to the way poorer people are getting poorer. So while the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting uh, poorer. And for a lot of these people, I mean, you know, there was, there was eye-watering figures that I mentioned. You know, the people on the, the billionaire list, never in their lifetime could they spend the money. If they were to even go for this wealth tax of two, three or uh, even five, up to five uh, percent, many of the wealthy people wouldn't even miss it. They probably don't even know how many zeros are, are, the, are on the end of their actual wealth. Um, thank you for your... Uh, text uh, John or your call John and then Tom was texting in when I was saying you know what what what, what do they do with all of that with that money uh, Tom says what good, what good is that money to them when you end up in a brown box yeah we all end up the same way and money's going to be of no use to any of us for sure thanks for that uh, Tom and then on e-scooters flood and flurry of calls and texts about e-scooters which I predicted we would get as soon as I knew we were going to be talking about it with Councillor Ian Doyle Joe says insurance should be compulsory on all e-scooters and e-bikes and if they cause an accident then people can claim from their insurance whereas at the moment if you are involved in an accident with an e-scooter or or an e-bike and even if it's not your fault as the driver it'll be your insurance that the person will claim from Hi Patricia these people driving these e-scooters have no regard for the law and they've no regard for other road users they come off footpaths straight onto a roadway and sometimes drive right in the middle of the road why do cars taxis bus truck drivers why do all of us have to pay tax and insurance for our vehicles and they don't it's a shambles thank you Patricia that's from Willie someone else says a footpath is for pedestrians not for cyclists not for skateboards I will not move out of the way for any of them if I see them coming I once caught a guy's bike and I pulled him out onto the street out onto the road where he should have been uh, cycling I wonder what the reaction was to that Billy in uh, Clonakilty says Eamon Ryan should be told the understanding of the word footpath footpath that's where people walk with their feet elderly people in Clonakilty uh, Bill says he's speaking, spoken to some of them they don't come into town on Saturday or Sundays because there's too many of these e-scooters flying up and down the footpath so many elderly now are opting to shop during the week when it's quieter if you go into any public place be it driving around a campus of say a hospital or a university you will always see that the speed limit is 15 kilometres and now we have our transport minister bringing in legislation to say that the speed of an e-scooter can be up to 25 kilometres and that's on a footpath. You would do damage to a person if you hit them travelling at 25 kilometres an hour. Indeed you would. Indeed you would. And people have been damaged and people have been injured let's be honest. And the fear is that more will be because unfortunately or fortunately for those that got them, many people got them at Christmas. Eamon, someone else says, thank you for that. Eamon Ryan says 
the, he wants to a big push on electric cars. This is making no sense to Mary in North Cork. They want people to cut down on lighting of fires and heating their homes. Yet he wants all of us to go ahead and buy electric cars. Where is the sense of that? Where is all where is all this going to end? People now, according to Mary, are wasting their electricity by charging their electric cars. Everybody's watching their electricity use at the moment, says Mary. Yeah, but you see, Mary, if you had the money to buy yourself an electric car, what you would be paying charging your electric car would be way less than what you would be paying in diesel and in petrol. And that's the reason why Eamon Ryan is pushing people to go with electric uh, cars and it is better for the environment as well. 0818 103 103. And Carol was on to us earlier, says, Morning, Patricia. I am really, really starting to get concerned about my local pharmacy sourcing certain medicines for my mother. Some of these medicines are essential for her and essential for her to stay alive. Can you get somebody on from the HSC, someone from the Department of Health, some of our local representatives in West Cork on to explain what is happening with low supply of medicines in uh, pharmacies? It is an absolute uh, disgrace, says Carol. Well, actually, Carol, only last Friday, Thursday, Friday, Thursday, um, we had... A local pharmacist joined us, Peter Weedle, joined us on the programme to talk about the number of medicines that are out of stock or are running in uh, short supply. And uh, I read today that while we were talking about it last week, the situation we spoke about last week has even got worse because the medicine shortage now, there's 12 more drugs have now gone out of stock. And what's a real worry is one includes a treatment for epilepsy. That's a really, really scary thing. Now, hopefully there will be an alternative for people who are taking that particular epilepsy drug. So the number of now out of stock drugs has risen to 224 amid warnings that patients here are losing out because of it's to do with the lower prices paid by Ireland to drug makers compared to other countries. That is a quote from a company called Azure Pharmaceuticals. They comply what's called the Medicine Shortage Index. And they say manufacturers, including companies producing medicines here in this country, are getting paid up to four times as much for their products abroad as they get in uh, Ireland. So obviously, if a company is producing meds and they can get paid four times what the Irish government will pay, what are they going to do? They're going to ship it out to the countries that are, are looking for it because there is a medicine supply issue not just here in this country, it's right across uh, Europe and indeed uh, right across the world. So it's it's who's paying the most at the moment seems to be the one that is, is securing it. So something has to be done about it. And this Azure Pharmaceuticals are calling on the government to say that they're going to have to do something because we are going to lose out on more and more medicines. Now, the Department of Health say they're closely monitoring the supply of medicines. They say in the case of medicines used most often in Ireland, there are typically multiple forms and strengths and brands and generic medicines available from other sources. They say where some individual medicines are in short supply, alternative options uh, are uh, used instead so they're they are why they're monitoring it they're not as worried as the pharmaceutical companies and the pharmacies are but it is extremely frustrating for pharmacists uh, themselves I mean pharmacists all over the country have reported difficulties in getting hold of some of the very common products uh, like common cold and flu uh, remedies and that unfortunately is at a time when the co- country is enduring a wave of these viral uh, illnesses there's also been ongoing shortages of paracetamol there's been some essential antibiotics 
six that are for serious bacterial in infections, they have gone into short supply as well. But as Peter Weedle did explain to us last last week, when you know somebody comes in with a prescription to a pharmacist, and if they don't have the particular product, there will always be alternatives even though the problem that the pharmacy unions are having is they, they either they themselves have to contact the doctor or the patient has to go back to the doctor to say that particular brand of antibiotic or that particular medicine isn't available but there is an alternative and a new script has to be uh, written up and it was weeks ago, weeks, la- certainly a number of months ago that we spoke with a pharmacist from Dublin who had worked overseas for, for a period of time and she said in other countries and just even across the waters in the UK, I think she'd worked in Scotland that if the same same issue happens if somebody comes in with a prescription and particularly a prescription that's on one of these shortage uh, lists then the pharmacies themselves are able to offer the alternative they don't have to go back to the doctor and you know it saves time obviously and it's such a time waster for the pharmacy and for the doctor and you know we were already talking about how, how overstretched our GPs are and how we have a dwindling number of GPs so anything that can be done to lessen their work has got to be uh, looked at but certainly the department say they're closely monitoring and at the moment they say there are alternatives there but of course the big question is what happens when the alternatives are run out there you have somebody particularly worried about her mother because some of her mother's essential medicines are going into short supply 0818103103 John Paul taking your call C103 Jobs an accounts assistant is wanted to work in Kanturk flexible hours are available CVs please to info at rota.ie an experienced counter salesperson is wanted for an agri spares store outside of Mallow. CVs and a cover letter, please, to sales at technicnix.ie. Farm assistant wanted for a dairy farm in Castletown Roach. Full clean driver's license required 086 855 3822. And a general operative with forklift experience, a TIG welder and a bank person slash slinger. All required for night shifts in Dundar, CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. Now a new transport project is looking at a range of options around the removal of all existing road tolls and instead charge motorists for using roads throughout the national road network. The proposal by Transport Infrastructure Ireland has been described as anti-rural by Kerry TD uh, Deputy Michael Healy-Ray, who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning uh, to you and to your listeners, Patricia, and I'd like to take the opportunity to wish you all a very happy, holy and prosperous new year. And many happy returns to you and yours as well. Now, this project is called, and I was unaware of it until I read newspaper reports about it last week, it's called Project Bruce. And Bruce stands for Better Road User Charging Evaluation. Uh, Ken Fox was writing about it in the Examiner last Friday. When did you first become aware of Project Bruce? Well, I knew that there was going to be, whether you want to call it a project, Project Bruce or Brute, but I knew that something brutal was going to be coming down the line because you must remember 
that every person who buys 10 euros worth of petrol or diesel, there is approximately 7 euros and 40 cents going in excise and VAT and tax. Now, they're trying to get us all out of diesel and petrol and into electric. Now, if they do, the one people they're shooting most of all, first of all, is themselves in the foot. In other words, the exchequer, the government, because they're going to cut themselves off of a revenue source. Now, they have to dream up of imaginative ways of robbing you, and I would call it robbing you. Because, for example, right now, this minute, people are paying so much in VAT and VRT on their fuel, on the purchase of the car. They're paying their insurance. They're paying their tax. Every mile of the road, you're paying a high price to travel that journey. Now, the people that are on the road don't drive on the roads for the fun of it. They're either going educating their children, educating themselves, going to work, doing the normal day-to-day living, buying the groceries. Now, what do they want to do? Send us all to the back to the 1950s or 40s that we'll all be up on bicycles or walking or coming along the road. I mean, this is nonsensical and it is really beyond belief to think that TII, Transport Infrastructure Ireland, it would be a lot more in their line to go away and be worried about surfacing the roads and keeping our roads in a, in a proper shape than looking at how to screw us for more money to traverse upon them. And yeah, I and, I, and I, I can see why why you see it as, as anti-rural. I mean, those of us who are blessed to live in rural Ireland, we don't have any other option, as you've outlined, but to drive on our roads. We don't have an adequate public transport system. Well, I was on a radio the other day debating against a very nice lady, I'm sure, who was from Dublin City, and she was explaining why this was a great thing. She was representing the Green Party and those type of people. And she was saying this was great and it was very welcome that we should pay a toll on all national roads. Now, I obviously wouldn't agree with her, but that person where she was coming from, she could go outside her door and there was a dash, there was a loose, there was buses, there was everything. Now, the areas that I represent are the area that an awful lot of your good listeners are from, are remote areas. And we want to continue to live in those areas. We don't want to be hunted into towns or villages. We, if we want to do it, we'll do it of our own volition, but we don't want to be forced or coerced into doing it. And if you look at the Green Party agenda, like the really green people to me in Ireland are the people, first of all, who own the countryside. In other words, our farmers. They're the real people. They're the custodians of the land. They're the people who want to improve it, make it better, and they're doing so. They're putting slatted sheds. They're after improving their fertilizer programs. They're doing everything they can to give the environment to the next generation in a better shape and in a better form. People who live in the countryside, they're custodians in that they're protecting it. They want to keep the roads free of water. They want to keep the hedgerows shaped nice and, and clean and tidy and neat. And you have to have people. And remember, we had an awful amount of people living in this country one time, uh, in the countryside, and there was no sanitation that time. There was no septic tank. And, you know, didn't the countryside survive fine, and didn't it live, and did, didn't it continue, and it's still there today. My late mother used to always say that if the Green Party people who were there today <coughs> were around the time of the rural electrification, they wouldn't have allowed the ESP poles to be put up in the countryside because they just said they were too unsightly. Then we wouldn't have had light, we wouldn't have had power. The families that were raised, the fine good people who were raised in the countryside couldn't have been born there. Because there wouldn't have been light, there wouldn't have been power. We couldn't have farming, we could have had nothing. 
<coughs> and my late mother was right in saying what she said, that if some of the people that are around today and had the political say and the political weight that they have, we'd be living in the dark age. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the people go in to make <laughs> these decisions and, and you know, they, they think they're making the best decisions uh, possible. But I, I've always had an issue around somebody in Dublin making a decision that affects somebody who's living in West Cork, in Kerry, in North Cork, uh, in rural Clare. People who, who have lived all their lives in the city have no idea what it is like to live in rural Ireland. Yes, and, and, I, and I must say this in case people think that I'm trying to create a divide because of my work and I give a good bit of time in Dublin. I meet the nicest of people in Dublin, lovely people, and, uh, you know, I meet them at different events. So it's nothing against the people personally, but comparing living in the countryside and living in, in urban Ireland, it, it's two completely different yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, and don't get me wrong. There was great hard-working and intelligent people raised in, in very bad circumstances, maybe in cities back over the years. But they do have more access to all types of facilities. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Whether it's education, uh, health, uh, job opportunities, and they have a lot going for them, and uh, and more look to them, and I'm delighted that they have that. But don't begrudge us the right of travelling on our roads without having to pay a high price. Yeah, and, and by, time, by the way, we're they, paying that high price they, already. The toll roads that are there on on our major motorways. Are you a fan of those? Because obviously, if you're travelling up and down to Dublin, you pay a lot of tolls. I I do, and and I see what the people who uh, haul goods, what they have to pay, because you know when you could take a lorry or a van or a trailer through um, or a machine or a digger through a toll, you pay a lot higher price. Now, there's one very important point, and of course, I think that some of those tolls, when they brought in, it made sense because they were to come in for a period of time, and some of them were public private partnerships to pay for the actual job that had been done. But now, it's like the penalty points. They just see it as a way of making money. 
when the penalty points and the fines came in, that was about saving lives. But it has no longer got anything in the world to do with saving lives. And it's not the driving force behind increasing the penalty points and increasing where the speed bands are. You see them now in places where you never saw them before. You see them at 3 o'clock in the morning as you'd never see before because now they see the opportunity. We're out to make money. And that's what they're doing. And they try to say it's about saving lives. But if, And very few politicians will come out and criticise them because they'll say, oh, it's the wrong politically incorrect thing to do. But I don't give a damn about political correctness. I'll tell the truth on behalf of the person who's like a fish being shot in a barrel when they're doing 32 kilometres inside this 30 mile zone and the speed band is hidden behind something where they want to purposely catch them. Or if they know there's a line of cars coming from a football match and they'll be there placed strategically to get them. Do you think they're interested in saving lives? Not at all. It's about money and it's about a company and it's about increasing revenue and make it look good for the state. But coming back to the point about our roads and the tolls, mm. if you take this to ultimate and if you say, yes, we will toll the roads, who's going to have to pay an offer price? But the people who deliver our foodstuffs around the country. Which means now, everything will go up in price. Exactly. Now, the last time I checked and looked, any small shop, the goods that come into that shop, they do not fall out of the sky. There is not a train coming outside the door because where we had rural trains before, remember, geniuses of politicians thought it was a good idea to shut them down. So we don't have a rural rail network. And just to show you how stupid politicians can be, they shut down those rail networks that time. And what are they doing now? Trying to open them up to make greenways for cyclists and people to walk on. But if they needn't have done any of that if they had kept them open in the first instance. But that the horse has bolted. But coming back to what they want to do now, the shops that get the deliveries by the good people who are out at the dawn in the morning with the papers, the milk, the bread, all the different larger and smaller suppliers, it has to be delivered by road. So what you're telling those people is, well, you live a lorry, so you live to be a very high toll. And what do they have to do then? Only increase the price of their shopping. So what they want to do is starve the people in rural Ireland. I mean, people don't think of the knock-on consequences. It's the exact same as the geniuses in the Green Party who said we should close down Bonamona and, and stop producing peat briquettes. They did. And where are we getting our briquettes now? We're importing them. Every from Germany. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. more than now than ever. And, 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 don't, and don't get us started about sugar and what happened to, to, exactly. our, to, to our sugar friends. But just and, one and point, that, if, these, that, if these costs do come in, if, if Project Bruce is introduced, somebody's asking, if we do end up having to pay to drive on our national roads, will it mean better roads for all? Not at all. <laughs> do, do, do you believe that in a million years? Because what they'd do is they'd rob the money and take it away. Do you think they'd put down blacktop on all the roads? They wouldn't. They're eyeball. Do you know what they wouldn't do? Bro? They wouldn't cut the hedges. And as you know, our local authorities don't cut the hedges. The answer to that is it's the farmer, the landowner. He's, he well, in fairness, the local authorities the don't have the workers to do it anymore. I mean, we've lost a huge amount no, of... I, no, but it, it's not the local authority I'm blaming. I'm blaming the policy of, oh yeah, okay. All right, and and, and the other thing I discovered when I was looking up about Project uh, Bruce, they're going to the TII are going to look at existing schemes for charging motorists, and they're going to look at places like London, Hong Kong, and Singapore. And I just thought, you know, 
there's no one in rural Ireland can identify with what happens on the streets of London, Hong Kong or Singapore or you could com- make, compare any likeness. Well, the last time I checked, West Cork and South Kerry and West Kerry do, don't have a lot in common with Hong Kong. And uh, I, I really think that is the truth. So I think they haven't thought it through no more than they think through a lot of the policies and a lot of the ideas. I'd love to be able to face up to the people who came out with these proposals because they really are going down to the bottom of the barrel now when they're trying to screw people again because you can only pay so much tax. The workers can only pay so much. And my God, at every turn, people are being hit for money and money. And at a time when people are trying to see after their health, educate their children, improve the heating efficiency of their homes because of the fact that electricity has gone so expensive. You're paying three times now the cost for rural electricity bill is what we were doing before. Yeah, as, as, we know, before as we know, with the bills now. coming in. OK, just to finish off, Heidi in West Cork says, well done to Deputy Michael Healy-Ray. You've got your eye on the ball, exactly as I think it. it is so true. The Green Party would want to go to Germany and China and other countries that are opening up coal mines and they're making us get rid of our turf. And yes, Patricia, the people that live in Dublin have a lot of different transports to choose from. We in rural Ireland don't even have the railway. OK, Michael, we leave it there. Thank Thank you for that. And yes. uh, thanks and, thanks for joining and, us. And, and thanks for the opportunity. And could I just say one final word, if you don't mind, because of it being the start of the year, we're talking a lot about roads, and I did mention about road safety. The one thing that I'd really wish for every family, and you don't need the government to be hold your hand in doing this, I hope that everybody is safe on our roads, and young people in particular, to just be careful when they're on their own. And, uh, and take care of themselves. Okay, know. well said, well said. Thanks for that, Michael. Look after yourself. Hi, uh, Patricia. Love your show, but Michael Healy Ray belongs in the last century. He speaks nothing but science denying rubbish, says this listener. While Margaret says, Hi, Patricia, I concur 100% with every word that Michael Healy Ray is saying. As the e scooters that you spoke about earlier, there was a lady in Tralee who was knocked down on the sidewalk a couple of weeks ago. She actually ended up in hospital with broken bones between the collision uh, with somebody on an e-scooter. Thank you for that to 0862103103. Paul Kavanagh of McCarthy Insurance Group joins me. No, he doesn't join me. He was there a second ago. I'll get John Paul uh, to pop him back up. The line has gone down uh, there. Uh, hi, Patricia. This is somebody, please don't call out my name, which is fine. There's a man in my local area who was caught for drink driving. He's now off the road, but now he purchased an electric bicycle. Instead, he's now out on the public roads again. He calls to the pub in an evening after work for his pints before heading home on his uh, bike. He can do up to 40 kilometres per hour on that bike. Surely there is some laws that that shouldn't be allowed. I don't know, you can't be on a bike uh, over the limit. We'll look into that. Thank you for that. Somebody doesn't want my the name called out for fear that we identify the person, which is fine. Now we're saying, sticking or going to insurance uh, issues because Paul Kavanagh of McCarthy Insurance Group uh, joins me. Uh, good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, uh, Patricia, and uh, Happy New Year uh, to you and to all our listeners. Many happy returns. NCT delays, which we are going to be talking about uh, tomorrow on the, uh, the programme as well. Um, people are still nervous about NCT, can't get an NCT on time, and are fearful driving around without an NCT, an, or, um, an in-date, up-to-date NCT. What's your advice? The advice is make a booking, no matter what, make a booking print out the confirmation of the booking 
and put it up on the dash, up on the dashboard so that it's visible to the guardie uh, and that you can explain yourself and show that you have made every effort to go for an NCT. Do not ignore it. Do not. And if you do book it, don't put it into the glove compartment, as somebody said to me yesterday. I said, forget about it. Put it up in the dash so that it can be seen. And Gardaí are using their discretion when somebody's been stopped and their NCT is out of date once you can prove that you have an upcoming test. Correct. That yeah. is correct. Okay, and, you're, and, you're, and your insurance isn't affected because once your NCT... Once you've done that. But once if you once, once you've it, done that. your insurance will be affected. Now, when you go for the NCT, if you get the dreaded not roadworthy sticker on your car, what are you to do? You're, 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 you're down in the test centre. You could be many miles from home. What, yep. what are you meant to do? You're, you can't touch the car. You cannot drive that car because it's not roadworthy. You will invalidate your insurance with every insurance company if you try and move that car. So what you have to do in that case is get onto your local garage and get the carriage brought back to the to it, the garage to get it repaired. Yeah, no, I have to say... It's a very unfortunate situation. Yeah, yeah, and, and I know of people who found themselves in that situation who just drove the car home. And can I say well, in their defence, it wasn't explained to them that they, by anybody in the NCT centre that they shouldn't be driving it. I would agree with you. I've, I, I haven't come across it lately, to be honest with you, but I have anecdotally heard of it. And if anybody does ring us, that's our advice. Do not drive the car because they have said it's not fit to be driven and therefore you're, you are invalidating the pol- your insurance policy. So you're saying on that journey home, if God forbid you got involved in an accident mm-hmm. and the guardie were called, you you have no cover. You have no cover on your own car. And if there's somebody injured under the road traffic, then the Motor Insurance Bureau would be bought, brought into the, into the claim. And if they pay a claim, then they can claim that money back off of you. That's very serious. Very serious. Okay, keep that in mind. And as I say, we are going to be talking about delays with NCT uh, tomorrow on the programme. Okay, you also want to address uh, home uh, insurance and uh, your general advice for people who get their home insurance premium in in the door. You normally, I got mine now last year. It was the end of last year I was due for mine. And it came in about, I'd say about six weeks before it was due. The big fear is don't forget to renew. You know, the way you can put something aside and say, oh, I must get to that. Patricia, we all did it, and we cleared the, we, we cleared the table for, for the Christmas dinner, and we put everything aside. And, oh, where did I put that? And even if you do remember it, check it out. Everybody has a, a, a rough idea when their insurance is due on their home. And please, if you're in any difficulty with your home insurance, please contact your broker and explain yourself. I, I, I had somebody at the weekend on to me saying, I won't have money until next week. Okay, we will listen to you. That's not a problem. We can hold you covered until you get paid next week. Or we can put you on an installment plan. So don't be afraid to talk about it. But letting your insurance go, God help us, the poor man down in Carrigaline that left his insurance go a number of years ago, uh, and the house went on fire, and unfortunately, that man died in 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 the accident, and and that's just on. It's so sad. It's so unfortunate, and it could have been maybe avoided if people had looked into it. Yeah, yeah, and the, so the seek da- advice. Yeah, because the danger, Paul, at the moment is with people struggling with cost of living. 
and to people right. that are saying I've got I need money for this you know I was reading something about the cost of living people you know talking about giving up their their gym membership and their subscriptions to TV channels and, and whatever you know yes. that they're all well and good you know if you, if you have to cut back on those just to survive this cost of living crisis but your home insurance is so important well unfortunately we we see the tragic incidents that happen when fires happen uh, that unfortunate case in Carrigaline structural engineer went out free of charge from Kilworth there, Mr. O'Brien, and seemingly the walls can be saved, Great. but not the roof, not the beams, the whole building will have to be redone. That's a couple of hundred thousand euros. It's, it's just crazy, you know, and I know there's a gun go fund me, but that won't go anywhere near what needs to be done. And letters come out from insurance companies at times about locks and alarms and claims and flooding and subsidence and all different types of things address them don't let them go unanswered please that's my strong advice to people who who oh yeah was i supposed to do that yes if you're in any doubt just ask the question you won't be upsetting anybody asking the question yeah and you know the worst case scenario is obviously a fire and and, and nobody would would wish for that but i think then the second one then is a flooding event in your house right. or a burst pipe we're into another cold snap and let's be honest over the next number of days there will be houses who will be faced with burst pipes and the mess that can be left and the damage that can be done from a burst pipe. It's just, it's, see, all our listeners there now today, some of them may have seen it. I have seen it. It's drastic. I've seen water flow out the front door of a house. It's absolutely an awful situation to end up in. Would you believe it? Only today I am having my tank properly legged by a professional. Who's, who's lagging my tank for me today because, I, as I said to him, it's about 12 years since we had the, the bed snapped there. We had what, a snap in December and then we had a snap in January and, and people ended up with burst tanks everywhere, down through the house, down through the bathrooms, down through the, the, the bedrooms. All the clothes were destroyed, down into sitting rooms and out the front door. You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. You, you, would you really no, wouldn't. No. Insurance is only there after the event. Yeah, yeah. You but wouldn't it's, wish that on your no, worst enemy. But, but if, God forbid, it happens, at least if you have adequate insurance, you're, you're going to be covered. Yes, and that, and that is the answer, and we will get in there, and we will look after you, and we will hold your hand through the whole thing. So please don't let your insurance go. If you're in any difficulty with it, come and talk to your broker about it. That's what we're there for. There's offices. We have offices all over Cork. Come and talk to us. Okay, okay. And just very finally, you're saying if a contractor is coming into your house, you need to ask them for a copy of their public Liability insurance, and if they've got employees, their employer's liability. Make sure they have insurance, otherwise you're carrying the risk. You're the person that's taking them on. So just be very careful. Accidents happen all the time, unfortunately. I can, I have all the stories, and, and they're all true, and they're all tragic, and we don't want that happening to anybody. Uh, but if it does happen, once they have their own liability insurance, public and employers, then everybody's looked after. And I take and, it most reputable. Uh, contractors will have it and won't take any umbrage to you asking. There's no offence whatsoever. Okay. None. none. It, it, actually, you will see them advertising now. They will say fully tax compliant and insured. 
Okay. All right. That's what it's, you want. It's important to ask. All right, listen, Absolutely. the mind of information is always, Paul. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks care. for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is Paul Kavanagh of uh, McCarthy Insurance Group. Mara says just to remind people that Deputy Michael Healy Ray, his late father, was a member of the party who brought in the onus on the landowners to maintain the hedgerows. He also supported the same party later in government. He talks out of both sides of his mouth, says Morris. While Anne says, hi, Patricia. Fair play to Michael Healy Ray. He is wonderful. Michael Healy Ray always divides people. He's a bit like Marmite. You'll either love him or you'll hate him. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We were talking about insurance issues uh, with Paul Cavan, our insurance expert in the last hour. Somebody wants to know, why do insurance companies put up their your car insurance when your car is 10 years or over, even though your car has a valid NCT, which means it is road uh, worthy? That has been a bugbear for so many people for so many years. As far as I know, if you are with a company and your car is over 10 years and you try to transfer, many other insurance companies won't touch you if your car is over 10 years, which means then you've got to stay with the same company that you've been insured with for the last number of years. And obviously, if they give you a premium that's higher than normal, you don't really have a lot of choice. And it's I I don't know. I know we've looked into it before because it's not a new it's not a new issue uh, for sure. And I remember at the time we were told, you know, there's so many different issues at play. We've got to ask Paul Kavanagh that maybe he'll be able to talk to us on our next insurance uh, slot a little bit more about it. But particularly, you know, that listener is right. You know, it's perfectly road worthy because if it wasn't road worthy, it wouldn't have passed the NCT. So why, why, for example, do some insurance companies refuse to cover it, even though it is perfectly road worthy? We'll see if we can get more details uh, on that. But it isn't a new issue uh, for sure. Frustrating, though, it certainly is a very, very frustrating issue for a lot of people and uh, we also are getting back on to to Paul to see if he can give us an answer uh, for James who said are e-scooters covered under your house insurance I know we spoke with Paul about that uh, in the past the reason James is asking was he met a group of lads who uh, and he started talking to them about their e-scooters and did they have insurance and all of them said that they were covered under their parents home insurance policy and I think uh, and as I say, John Paul is getting on to Paul to see if we can get an answer on it. I think you have to inform your your house, wh- whoever you, the company that you have your house insurance with, that somebody in the house has an e-scooter or an e-bike. As I say, John Paul will have an answer for us, hopefully before the close of the programme on that. And then Mary said, listening to Paul, talking about the NCT uh, query and... Paul was suggesting to anyone whose NCT has run out, but you've contacted the NCT, you're waiting on an appointment date, you have an appointment date, but it's beyond the expiry date of your current NCT certificate. He said to put it up on the windscreen, on the dash of uh, your car. Uh, Mary said, I presume that the text from the NCT on my phone would also suffice as they don't send out letters anymore with a confirmation of your test. Uh, Indeed, they don't. And I know we've spoken with the Gardaí, before on that make sure you've got your mobile phone with you though if you were stopped that you would be able to prove that you have a test date that's coming up in the coming weeks and uh, months so yeah uh, Mary that certainly will suffice 0818 103 103 other issues coming into us oh a listener was on this morning said Patricia would you please let your listeners know that there is a pothole on the road at Cale Bridge in Mill Street it will do damage to a car if it's not fixed and not fixed soon and this person says I know it can do damage because I damaged my tyre there on Saturday well if you damaged your tyre 
returns, the direct result of that pothole. Get out and get photographs of it because there is compensation available from the council and also contact the council and make them aware of the pothole uh, because we certainly have seen that in the past when people have contacted Cork County Council or gone on to a local representative potholes to do get fixed you know we have a problem that we don't have enough outdoor staff but they do the best that they can particularly if they're made aware of a particularly dangerous pothole or a very deep pothole so let them know but get photographs of it if you, so you can prove that the damage was done at that particular pothole but thank you for your text Cale Bridge in Mill Street for people in the know living in that area policies on rural Ireland that we addressed with Deputy Michael Healy Ray Tom Imbantry says while it would seem the politicians are trying at times to shut down rural Ireland if they do such a thing where do they think that their food will come from into the future food at the moment comes from rural Ireland so they need to rethink some of these policies that do really seem to be anti-rural because if they go down that road guess what everything that they buy is going to be more expensive and that's going to have a knock-on effect for everybody in society if we get rid of the food producers who are producing our food at the moment 0818103103 staying on roads and this uh, or South Dock and this was the issue about Michael embarrassing there wasn't a South Dock available Uh, Heidi says uh, Patricia many older people worked very hard for their money and also paid all of their taxes I also hear I heard you this morning mentioning about South Dock and not having a service every night of the week for people on the Bearer Peninsula. Yet again, it is the older, poorer people who live in rural areas that seem to be treated the very worst by this government. We have to deal with the state of our roads around West Cork. We have to deal with lack of public lighting, hedge cutting, trying to shut our local hospital, our A&E department going. The list goes on and on and we just seem to stand by. We need to vote on the one that works for us, not the one that spouts what he or she thinks we want to hear. That's from Heidi in West Cork. And then I mentioned passports because somebody was on earlier saying that do we need to look at the way we are handing out passports and that too many people are claiming Irish passports and somebody used the analogy of the amount of people in the UK because of Brexit. They want to have an Irish passport because it's one of the most valuable passports in the world. If you travel a lot, it can get you into most uh, countries. And certainly it can get you into more countries than a UK passport can. So a lot of Irish, a lot of Irish expats living in England are opting to have Irish passports. It also cuts down on queuing at airports because obviously if you're on a UK passport, you're now a, non, a non-EU citizen. And if you certainly during the summer when I was doing some travel, I noticed the queues for the people arriving on flights out of England were made huge long queues to get their passports checked. Whereas the EU, all of us had our EU passports on our Irish passports, we were just sailing through. So a lot of people for convenience, if they're able to apply for an Irish passport, they're doing it. And somebody was saying, do we not need to look at or giving it out? Somebody said it likened it to being like a lucky bag. Too many people are claiming Irish passports. Well, Tess is listening to us overseas and says the Irish passport office is a joke. My daughter is, was born in Jersey, but myself, her mother, eh, born and raised in Mallow. I am Irish. Recently, she applied for an Irish passport and she's been refused. The whole process took so long. All the necessary paperwork was sent in on time at the time of the application. Staff on the phones weren't very pleasant and didn't even seem to speak with an Irish accent. I wonder where 
where that was. It's, it's obviously some call centre. Refunds still have not been received at all. Our documentation has been returned to her. You should, you should, I'm wondering why, on what grounds was she turned down? I thought if your mother was Irish, born and raised, and I'm assuming, Tess, that you have an Irish passport, I'd be appealing that. On what grounds was your daughter refused an Irish passport. I thought the, I thought you could even go back to the grandmother and grandfather rule and be able to get uh, a passport. I'll see if I can look into that for you this afternoon, uh, Tess, but I wouldn't be letting that one go uh, without a fight. 0818103103. And someone else is wondering, has anybody else noticed the number of people who are picking up COVID while in hospital? Anybody else noticed that? Hi, Patricia. The amount of people I've personally heard of myself who have contracted COVID COVID while they were patients in hospital is to me simply alarming. You're meant to be safe in hospital while you're recovering from sickness or illness or an operation. I heard from a relative of mine who was in a six bedded ward. They were all sharing the same walking frame, men and women. Surely that's very risky at a time when infection rates are so high. Thanking you. I know I was looking last week at the number of outbreaks in hospital and COVID, the COVID cases had gone up slightly, but they weren't, they weren't, they hadn't gone up hugely because, you know, if there was a huge outbreak in so many hospitals, it would be making headline uh, news. But yeah, I mean, I, have I heard of people going into hospital and picking up some kind of a hospital inquired infection? Yes, unfortunately I have. And it's one of the reasons that I think a lot of people are nervous about going into hospital because they're so fearful that they'll go in with one complaint and they'll end up getting something else or end up coming out with something else or end up getting uh, sicker. Uh, using the one walking frame, I, I, I don't know why. I don't know what the situation with that is. All I can hope for is is in between each of the patients using it that it was in some way disinfected and cleaned down and that all of the COVID protocols, because it isn't just COVID, we've got we've got this um, RSV uh, going on and we have the winter vomiting bug can be there as well. So I'm, I'm assuming it's sanitised, is it, in between use? 0818103103. But is there a lot of COVID still out there? Yeah, absolutely. And did you even see Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, there was an awards ceremony last night that unfortunately the boys weren't able to attend because guess what? Both Brendan Gleeson and Carl, Colin Farrell have picked up uh, COVID. You know, they would have been together um, for the awards ceremony during the week last uh, Tuesday night and I actually saw them kissing. <laughs> and I do remember when, when I saw them kissing each other on the lips, nothing wrong with that, but I did think, oh my God, I hope neither one or the other has COVID or RSV. Now, I'm not saying that's how they picked up COVID, but they weren't able to go to the award ceremony last night because unfortunately both of them are down with COVID. So yes, there is still a lot of COVID out there. Oh, be careful of your kissing. 0818 103 103. Lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Bingo is on in Buttervent GAA Hall tonight at 8. The jackpot is €3,400 and all are welcome. Annam Carey, Cara, will hold their West Cork meeting tomorrow at Mill Court Mill Place in Bandon. It's got a 7.15 start. Now, Adam Carroll welcome all bereaved parents. It's a free of charge service and it's regardless of the age that your child died or the circumstances of the death or how long ago. If you're suffering a bereavement of a child, then please go along. Adam Carroll do the most amazing work. 
And next Thursday, Kildallery Community Development, they'll have their weekly lotto draw. And they, in the community office with a jackpot this week, it's creeping up €6,900. And also next Thursday, there'll be a used clothes collection at Gagan Hall. It's on the, that's the 19th of January and it'll be on from 6.30 to 7.30 on next Thursday evening. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. I mentioned uh, potholes in particular, the one that was in Mill Street that damaged one of our listeners' cars. Mary wants to point out there are two potholes down near the clock house in Mallow. They've been there before Christmas and they are just getting deeper. Something needs to be done about it. And that's not in a rural area. It was the one I was talking about in Mill Street was at a bridge and I was wondering, were the council aware of it? I mean, if that's in the town of Mallow, surely uh, some council worker or council official have, has had spotted those uh, potholes that are only getting deeper. Thank you for your text, uh, Mary. Hi, Patricia. On Deputy Michael Healy Ray, who joined you earlier. He spoke the truth. It would be great to see the Healy Rays start up some kind of a political party and recruit members and have candidates with their policies in every single constituency. They would landslide any election according to this texter. There's honesty in what Michael Healy Ray has to say and to me that's rare in politics. Well done to Michael Healy for sp- particularly for speaking out and calling out what I see as a gimmick by the government disguised as speed vans for safety. Michael calls them out for what they really are. And I know those speed vans cause a lot of people feel it's and he mentioned to use the analogy fishing in the bar in a barrel. And I do remember Connor Faulkner when Connor used to work with the AA. He used to get very frustrated when we would give him examples or some of our listeners would give examples of a particularly, you know, stretch of road where maybe there was a climbing lane and then you just come up around the bend and there'll be a speed van or, or a guard standing there with the gun trying to catch people speeding and he always called that fishing in a barrel and we were told that when the speed vans were that they would be only put in place where there's a lot of accidents and a lot of fatal accidents and I think all of us have come across evidence of speed vans where you think and I don't remember any accidents ever on this particular road and actually in you know that week between Christmas and New Year I was travelling up to uh, spend time with my uh, son and his family up in uh, Clonmel and I was it was a one of those wet miserable days you know and I was travelling along the motorway where you can do 120 kilometres per hour and I was behind a very large truck and one of the mud flaps wasn't was, wasn't working it seemed to be part of it seemed to be broken off and the amount of muck that was sprayed up on the windscreen of my car and I kept trying to hold back and then I'd end up behind him again and it was just so in the end I said I'm just going to have to overtake him and so I did and I, I overtook him and he was travelling he was motoring at 120 kilometres per hour so I had to go slightly over the 120 kilometres an hour to overtake him and just as I pulled pulled in I saw the speed van up ahead and thought oh this is it I'm definitely I've definitely been nabbed so I've waited and waited it's over two weeks now and I didn't receive anything in the post so maybe I've just about got away with it or maybe I was just slightly over but I, I definitely overtook him at just over the 120 kilometres per hour I said a quick prayer to St Anthony to leave me off because my claim to fame has always been and I'd only been stupid stupidly boasting about it the day before that I've never received a speeding ticket and I've never received a parking ticket so I thought that all my chickens were coming home to roost but as I say I, I, I did appear to get away with it but I would have been fuming if I did because it was just trying to overtake and then to get back into the lane and then obviously to reduce uh, my speed and maybe that's why I got away with it I don't know uh, 0818 103 103 but I, but I do know um, 
100%. A lot of people do feel at times when they see some of their speed bands, they do question why they are placed in a particular place when we were told they would only be on roads where there had been you know a lot of accidents and particularly a lot of fatal accidents uh, Maria is talking about anti-refugee sentiment in this country and she said it hugely hugely saddens her to see some of the protests that have been going on around the country particularly the ones that are outside some of the asylum centres shouting at the people uh, to get them out get them out send them home the only thing I would say is there's very small numbers uh, turning up at those protests but they are hugely hugely upsetting particularly for the people that are inside I mean I heard of one family it was one of the protests that were in Dublin and the children absolutely terrified inside and turning around to their mothers saying are they going to come in and shoot us are we all you know are we going to be shot and, and none of us know the circumstances that many of these people have, have fleed from but do we have a problem with a huge number of refugees in this country yes we do and the numbers are increasing we have a cohort of them sleeping in tents this week in freezing cold conditions tonight for example no one would want to be sleeping being in a tent uh, tonight. So I read with interest that the government is seeking to reduce the waiting times for migrants from certain countries from between 17 to 24 months and bring it down to three months, which would see them either rejected. And if that be the case, then they leave the country quicker. Plans are being rolled out by the Department of Justice. While Ireland will now will continue to accept people seeking refugee, and that's in line with our what the government say is our moral and also our legal. We do have legal obligations uh, to accept uh, refugees, but they do say and they do accept there is a need for a speedier process for people who are coming from so-called countries of origin. So the Department of Justice say they're going to step up checks on people claiming claiming to be coming from war-torn countries in light of the recent surge in arrivals. And this is amid concerns that some are seeking to come here under false pretenses. And there will always be a cohort who will come here under false pretenses. But the problem is that you get people on the far right who paint everyone that is coming here uh, as the that they're not entitled to refugee status and of course so many of them are. So the department is saying there will be a faster process for those coming from countries of origin. Their applications will be dealt with quicker according to this government source who is speaking to somebody in the Irish Examiner. There is it's still in its early stages. Well, speed it up if it's in its early stages. But they're set to see waiting times for a decision fall from anything up to two two years. That's what it's taking at the moment for that first decision. And they're going to say they're going to bring that back uh, to three months. Now, obviously, the decision will be made after three months and it will still be open to appeal. But if it is still open to appeal, then make sure that the appeal process is speeded up as well. The reduction in waiting times is all part of the Justice Minister Simon Harris's plan to uh, in calling what he calls a balanced approach to ensure that those who are seeking sanctuary in Ireland do get a quick answer and those who refuse then can leave this country and leave this country quickly. While sources have said the number of deportation orders is likely to increase, many people who refuse to entry permanently tend to leave of their own accord and it seems there's only a very, very small number have to actually forcibly be uh, deported. Many, once they're told, no, you can't stay, they then leave. So under these new plans as well, and I was really happy to see this, they're also going to be enhanced 
engagement with the airlines, particularly those that are operating out of Europe. And this is to combat the rise in the number of people who are arriving in Ireland with absolutely no documentation. So the government is going to start re-emphasising to the airlines what documentation to seek at the point of departure and to flag any signs of suspicious behaviour because I can't understand how anyone gets on any plane anywhere in Europe without the correct documentation. We've all travelled, we've all done our bit of travel and there's no way any of us would get out, would be able to get on a plane uh, either leaving this country or coming into this, coming back into this country without showing your passport. And then unfortunately we have a number of people who when they get off the plane, between getting off the plane and going to passport control, they've absolutely zero documentation. So that absolutely needs to be looked at and if, you know, and if it is a case that people are getting rid of their documentation, well that needs to be questioned as to why and they need to me they need to be dealt with uh, differently latest figures by the way show 177 people who were made the subject of deportation orders have left the state and that was up to October of last uh, year and then when asked about the cost of flights associated with both enforced deportations and EU removals from January 2022 up to this month 147,000 and that is excluding voluntary returns. So do I take it the voluntary returns pay for it themselves? It's sort of the enforced deportation that has to be uh, paid uh, for. So certainly they're going to be looking at decisions to be made from certain countries and particularly the country of origin where there doesn't seem to be a war or there doesn't seem to be a reason why somebody would be claiming um, that they're feeling unsafe in their country and that they need refugee uh, st- status. But this notion of somebody arriving and it can be two years before they even get a first decision and then on appeal it can take another couple of years is absolutely crazy and that's what is swamping our system and we're ending up with literally not enough beds for genuine asylum seekers who are arriving. 0818 103 John Paul continues to take your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Just on the passport uh, issue, uh, Tess, who was on to us from the UK about her daughter, even though her daughter was born in Jersey, uh, Tess was born and raised in Mallow trying to apply for a passport for her daughter and she's, she was refused and I was saying couldn't understand why she was refused. Tess was back on to say uh, the delay and the reason that the all the paperwork was sent back is the delay is due to the passport office in Dublin taking too long to process my daughter's application. Apparently it's a six month process but it took longer for them to look at the application despite texts received um, the application to say the application was being processed on numerous occasions I will of course be appealing their decision I spent more on phone calls to them I could have flown home a few times says Tess listeners in the UK and actually Dennis who is one of our regular listeners in Oxford uh, says uh, according to the Department of Foreign Affairs requirements if either of your parents was an Irish citizen and was born in Ireland which Tess was you were automatically 
basically entitled to Irish citizenship and can apply for an Irish passport regardless of where you were born. Keep us updated, Tess, on how you get on, but you're dead right. You absolutely uh, should appeal that uh, decision on, and on behalf of your daughter. And thank you to Paul Kavanagh, who's back to us from uh, on our insurance uh, piece when James was on to say he was chatting to a group of young lads who were on e-scooters and he was asking him about insurance and the group of young lads said oh we're all okay we're covered under our parents house insurance so I got Paul to check that and Paul said there is absolutely no insurance company in the Republic of Ireland covering e-scooters under anyone's home insurance now I'm, I'm assuming they're covered against being stolen if they were stolen from the house for example but they're certainly not covering them if somebody gets involved in a tip or gets you know, gets involved in an accident with somebody on an e-scooter. So, James, if you meet those young lads again, you can tell them that. And we were talking about potholes on various roads. John says on the main N73 road near Anakisha Church, there is a dike and the drains there cannot take the amount of water, particularly the amount of rain we got of late. There's also rubbish in the dikes. That has now ended up on the roadway, which is making the place look really, really untidy. The drains basically are not big enough to deal with the amount of rain that's fallen in recent weeks. But it might help, says John, if they were cleaned out, they might be able to take some of the surface water. And because of it, the water is destroying the road surface. And thank you to Maria and a number of other people when I was saying how I nearly got caught speeding. Someone says, I hope the lorry driver, Patricia, was the one that caught speeding. Lorries should should not be doing 120 kilometres on a motorway. And this guy certainly was, because that's why I looked at my speedometer and thought I was after getting uh, caught. And we've checked with the Road Safety Authority and the maximum speed limit on a motorway is hundred. 120 kilometres per uh, hour. Uh, the ordinary speed limit for HTVs is 90 kilometres on a motor uh, way. But for a large truck, it is um, the maximum speed of motorway is 100. That's for cars. They were, for HGV, it's 90 kilometres on uh, motorway. So maybe it was the truck driver got caught and not me. Thank you for that. 0818103103. Now, Annalise Drussell, a nutritional therapist, is on a little bit of a break and we hope that she is enjoying herself. So joining me today is Jen O'Callaghan, who is also a nutritional therapist and she's a health and wellness coach. Good afternoon to you, Jen. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I, I'm very, I'm very good, and thank you so much uh, for joining us today. You, are, you want to talk to us about healthy, simple, healthy daily habits that we can start actually doing today, which will give a positive impact on our health. And have you noticed the? Because I certainly have noticed it, and I know Annalise on our weekly slot we're talking about it every week. The amount of people that are saying, "I keep getting unwell. I keep picking up a reoccurrent chest infection. I keep getting a reoccurrent kidney infection." Um, people just seem to be feeling unwell at the moment. Yeah, absolutely, Patricia. You can definitely, you can definitely see it. You know, people are finding it harder to fight off things and getting things kind of easier as well. So. It's really kind of looking at trying to keep ourselves well. You know, sometimes we kind of wait until we're sick before we do something about it. Um, So it's kind of saying, how can we keep ourselves strong? How can we keep our immune system strong, our body strong? So that then maybe when you do get something, you mightn't get it as bad or you've got your, you know, your immune system strong enough to maybe to fight off 
Um, because I know people are getting steroid after steroid and antibiotic after antibiotic and it's, it's very tough. Yeah, and people don't like taking and doctors don't like giving out yeah. the antibiotics either. And then I think as well, and it could be just the time of the year with the seasonal affective disorder, people's mood gets lower, doesn't it, at this time of year? Yeah, totally. It's a, it's, it's a big combination, I think, isn't it, this time of year where you're being hit with everything. Um, and it's just wondering what can I do and what do I do and you know I suppose Annalise as well as myself we're doing this a long time and you start to see patterns and you do start to see clients who come back who are getting stronger and what they're starting to do you know and one of the things is definitely you know where is your vitamin D levels at I mean it's a it's really a powerful thing to find out maybe get tested by your doctors as private companies do it but your vitamin d3 if you're deficient in that then you are going to be more inclined to getting uh, colds or flus low mood as well and um, of course vitamin d in the summertime we get it from sunshine that's right that's right yeah and this time of year unfortunately patricia it's just you know it's too low the angle of it is too low even if you're out all day long you know, in the weather at the moment, you're not going to be absorbing the vitamin D at the, the sun at that level, at that angle. Um, so, And there are foods that we can eat, you know, that will help with vitamin D, like our butter or oily fish. And it can be added in, you know, to things like our milk or cereals or orange juice. But really, to get an adequate level to supplement with your vitamin D3 at this time of year is really a smart thing to do. Take a supplement, take a supplement. Mm. Now, feeding your gut microbiome, there's so much talk about the connection here between your your gut health and your overall health. Yeah, 100%. There's more and more information coming out all the time, which is brilliant for us to, to get. And it's again, it's connected to our immune system, to our mood, and they, what we eat affects our gut microbiome uh, for the better or for the worse and when we're looking at 70% of our immune system residing in our gut and you know up to 80% of our serotonin our feel-good hormone uh, as well in our in our gut you'd be thinking you know it's a smart thing for us to do if we can provide it with the, the, the right nutrients and food and again simple Patricia you know and a lot of people will be doing this uh, already but, you know, it's getting enough fiber in, getting our six to seven portions of vegetables or two or three portions of fruit in the day. And it's like prebiotic foods like garlic, onions, bananas, leeks. They're really good to fuel our gut diversity. And then you've got like probiotic foods like our kefir yogurts or sauerkraut or kimchi. And look, I, I know for our country here, sauerkraut and kimchi can be new enough. Yeah. And But, you know, to other cultures, Polish, Germans, they've been around for a long time. And Yeah, and again, actually, if you look mm-hmm. in any of the Polish sections of the supermarkets, you'll see them all stocked. Yeah, they are. They're, they're, they're all there. And I find when I have a client who comes to me and they're sick a lot, it's their gut I'll work on. You know, that's, that's where I see the, the best progress and the longest progress for people when, you know, do you have indigestion? Do you have bloating? Do 
Do I have a lot of wind? Is your gut telling you and giving you feedback that mm. it's not working properly? So work on work on the gut and your and your general health will will improve. I think you know for the last number of years there's been this push against fats and fats all fats are bad for you, um, and people particularly people who are watching their weight will will go you know on a low fat diet and keep well away from fats. Fats are important. Oh, yeah, really important, and and again. Thankfully, I suppose there's more and more information coming out, realizing that we do need our, our good, healthy fats and how they support our mood and cognition and memory and you know even things like learning, um, like maybe like things like dyslexia. It's really important to get our good essential fats in to really support the brain um, and the clarity and concentration. And the thing with our, our good, healthy fats. The essential fats, we don't make them in our body, so we have to eat them. And it's things, again, like oily fish, like mackerel, trout, salmon, sardines, or things like your chia seeds that you could put in your yogurt, or maybe flax seeds, a tablespoon of flax seeds into your, into your porridge. And again, it's all about the quality and quantity. So it's the quality of your good, healthy fats coming in and not things like trans fats or hydrogenous fats that would be in maybe a lot of processed foods and then the balance of our good saturated fats from our meat and our dairy but definitely one that I would see in a lot of people's food diary that would be missing would be our good uh, healthy essential fats and they're actually like a natural anti-inflammatory as well Patricia where they pull down pain in our body so people with arthritis or aches and pains uh, it really helps with that as well Okay, because somebody is saying, uh, could you ask your uh, nutritional therapist, who's uh, Jen O'Callaghan today, for advice, uh, please? I suffer from overall stomach pain and nausea. It's been going on for months. The doctors don't know what's causing it. Could that be to do with the gut microbiome? Yeah, well, with with the stomach pain and, and nausea, there's, I'm seeing a lot of people with gastritis. I think there's a lot of stress around and uh, people will describe maybe sometimes of a, a, a nausea and obviously, you know, getting, getting it checked in that with your, with your doctor. But sometimes it's people eating too fast um, and their digestive enzymes may not be working properly and they might need a little bit of support around that side of things uh, as well because they might not be breaking down their foods properly and then we can get a bit of fermenting in our, our, our stomach. So stomach pain and nausea, uh, I'd be looking more maybe uh, enzyme-wise as well. Uh, and there might be a little bit of healing that needs to, to, to go on and things like slippery elm or great like that for, for nausea okay. um, in the body. Okay, and then obviously there, while there are good fats, the other big one is sugar. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know if there's any good thing, such a good thing as sugar. <laughs> we just all need to watch our sugar intake. We do, we do. I, I hope at this stage all the celebration boxes are gone. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, afternoon tea. I, I know our houses were full of them, weren't they? <laughs> they are there, yeah. and you know get what? rid. Get rid, exactly. It, it, it's it is hard, and there's no question. The more we eat, the more we want. It is addictive, one hundred percent. And you know we're looking at reducing the amount of added sugar in our diet because really it does suppress our immune system. It can put us into blood sugar roller coasters, where it affects our mood, concentration, our weight. And, you know, our guideline with the World Health Organization is six teaspoons for women, 
and eight teaspoons a day for men. Which isn't a lot. Which isn't a lot. I mean, one biscuit is a teaspoon of sugar yeah. or like a bar of chocolate would be your six teaspoons. Okay, and then you're talking about uh, producing your own feel-good hormones. Get out and move. Yeah. Or get up and move. You don't have to be outside if you if you're if you're of a certain age and you can't go out. You can do move. You can, you can do any kind of movement. Just keep moving. Keep moving for sure. And I think we learned a lot through COVID. People who would have been working with who'd been at home and on the computer all day long. It's even putting a message on your phone. You know, every hour, hour and a half to just get up and move. And it's a few squats by the computer, going up and down the stairs. You know going out in the back garden and that because you know it's just getting our nice feel-good hormones ourselves our dopamine our serotonin from our exercise would be much nicer like dance in the kitchen (laughs) (laughs) and and we all love to dance in the kitchen and then for all of us we all need to reduce our stress levels because that's just not good for your overall health yeah well we can see this i think for everybody who walks in our door at the moment this is a big one that you have to work with with people because it affects everything. I mean, if I have a lovely food plan for people to follow and they're stressed, then they're not going to follow it. Mm. So you, you have to make a plan around your stress and how you can manage it. And little by little, Patricia, needn't be huge things. Like sometimes it's only yeah, a minute here and there just to pause, stop, and just take a breath. Just slow everything down a little bit. Because, you know, high cortisol... It suppresses our immune system, our gut function. You know, people get a lot of aches and pains. Your mood is affected. So really, if you don't look at the stress, then, you know, it's going to affect every area in your life. Okay. And it might be, for some, it's just gardening. Get out yeah. in the garden. Read a book. Read a book. That's it. Listen to some music. Yeah, yeah there's so many ways. There's so many ways that you, you can de-stress. And very finally then, on what can be a big bugbear for a lot of people, getting a good night's sleep. Huge, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and you and can't function if you don't have a good night's sleep. We all know how we feel when you've had a bad night's sleep. Yeah, it's totally underrated, and I think we don't value it enough, or even put, I suppose, a conscious choice on what I'm going to go to bed early tonight and get a good night's sleep. And it's really about your deep sleep. I had a client recently, and he told me he only had about three or four minutes of deep sleep. And so, you know, we should really be getting about an hour, an hour and a half of good deep sleep to be getting that healing, repair, your hormones are all being regulated at at nighttime. And sometimes it's just we can't switch off Mm -hmm. at night. So it's trying to turn off the phones, the laptops and all that so that we can start to actually wind down, read a book again. Maybe it's a, you know, a cup of chamomile, valerian tea or lemon balm or hops, anything like that is, is really good. And, uh, you know, it's just sometimes even having a journal by the bed to write down your worries or woes of the day to get them out of your head so that you can actually just relax and wind down. Yeah, so that when you get into bed, you're nice and uh, relaxed. Okay, great uh, yeah. advice as always. You've got um, a wellness event coming up. That, that's right. We're doing the a, end of the um, month. Yeah, a, a wellness morning, running a wellness morning um, with a, a colleague of mine. There would be like that now, meditation and a bit of food demo and talk around uh, nutrition and that as well. Um, and I'll be doing a gut health webinar and stress and anxiety webinar as well coming up. And where can people get details of those, Jen? So they can go onto my website, um, everydaynsw.com.
Okay, listen, a pleasure as always, Jen. Thank Great. you for that and thanks for joining us. Good morning Thank to you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. That is uh, Jen O'Callaghan, nutritional therapist and health and wellness coach. A mine of information fitting in for Annalise who will be back with us uh, next week. Do I have a couple of minutes? I do, just very quickly, just to wrap up on some of your comments in. Hi, Patricia. I'm enjoying your show. Thank you very much. Um, I was particularly interested in the comment about COVID and how people were noticing, or somebody had noticed a number of people contacting contracting COVID while a patient in hospital. One of my very close relatives went into hospital with a broken leg, was recovering very well and was getting daily physio. Then unfortunately she got COVID while a patient in hospital and we weren't allowed in to visit her for three days because of the COVID protocol. Suddenly we were, had an offer of a 24 hour 7 access visit and we were told that sadly she was dying. As you can imagine we were in total shock. We still have so many unanswered questions. Thank you for throwing a light on uh, so much Society. Oh, that is just so sad. That's from Anne Marie. Uh, condolences, Anne Marie, to you and your family. That is just really, really sad to lose somebody like that as well, and then to be left with unanswered uh, questions. On people coming into this country and not having documentation with them when they turn up a passport control, uh, Joe says, Patricia, it's impossible to get on a flight without proper documentation. The airlines have all the details. All the immigration officer or guardi have to do is ask them for the details plain and simple so says uh, Joe and hi Patricia on conditions of roads the Butterfant to Canturk road is full of treacherous potholes according to Mary very dangerous particularly if you have to pull in if you're on that road uh, please do it with extreme uh, care and hi Patricia this is an email listening online from the UK passport checks are often just a visual check or by scanning visual is a casual glance on departure a scanning is an electronic uh, check and that's where the red flag a traveller with a forged document I've crossed from Fishguard last year four times with no check on any of the port of arrivals to uh, Ross Lair I'm not really sure about our secure borders okay I've got to leave you there talk to you tomorrow Short today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.